Um, all right, church will be in Colossians today. Uh, we've got a couple more weeks together in the book. And so if you want to turn to chapter 4 with me, if you're new, my name's Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been working our way through a book called Colossians in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. We're on page 573 in those Bibles. Feel free to take it with you. And uh, Lord willing, next week we will finish up uh, Colossians. And then the following week, so August 22nd, we plan to start a book in the Old Testament called uh, Ecclesiastes. So if you want to read ahead, that's where you could go. And uh, it comes off initially like quite a downer. So just you're forewarned. If you're a sad person, it's going to make you sadder. If you're not a sad person, it's going to make you sad. Um, but we're going to learn a lot through it, and I promise you won't be sad at the end. It's an amazing book with lots of wonderful information for us. Uh, so, Colossians 4 for today, if you'd look with me starting in verse uh, 2, it says this, uh, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak." Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. I've been praying that this morning God would use uh, this text to help us uh, understand the urgency of sharing Christ with people and to, if you're a follower of Christ, to really feel that, even to physically be affected by it, and that we would submit in fresh new ways to the call that God gives all Christians to be sharing the gospel. The, the main point of this paragraph, these verses, is that as those alive in Christ, this whole section in Colossians has been speaking to believers, persuading us of who we already are in Christ, and calling us to action. In this passage, it's telling us to live with an evangelistic zeal, by praying, living, and speaking for Christ. That would be what we'll be thinking about together uh, this morning. Now, I think before we can jump in with sort of both feet and make sense of this passage together, that there's a couple of things we need to be reminded of, Some, uh, a little bit of preliminary groundwork we need to till, if you will, in order to be ready to hear these verses. Uh, there are at least what I want to call this morning two gloriously wonderful presuppositions that we need to have in our minds in order for this text to make sense to us. I call them glorious because they're big, they're huge, they're amazing, and yet they're difficult to understand and keep in our heads. And I call them presuppositions not because they're ideas I'm just pulling out of the air, but rather the Bible consistently teaches these things over and over and over. They're just not in this particular passage. But they had to have been in the Apostle Paul's mind as God was guiding him to write these words, or these words wouldn't make sense. And so I want to spend a couple of minutes just thinking with you about two presuppositions that are essential to get this passage. Number one is that people need the Lord. People need 
Jesus. People need Jesus. We uh, live in a time where it is customary for um, people all day, every day, to be talking about what they need. This, isn't, this hasn't always been the case. It hasn't always been the case in my lifetime, even. Now, no funny jokes about how long I've lived or how long I look like I've lived. Um, people seem to all the time be willing to say, I don't have money to pay this bill, or I'm going to this therapist, or I'm having conflict with this person, or I'm failing at this class, or I need this other thing, or I'm having this problem with my parent. And uh, there are good things and bad things about that. That's not my point. My point is, we are living in a moment in time where people are constantly talking about what they need. And we use words in our everyday vernacular that 20 years ago people didn't use. People weren't talking about being triggered or anxious or overwhelmed. These weren't common words people used to describe everyday life. And so I think what can happen is that because no longer is the kind of tough person who pretends they don't have any needs thought of as um, an aspiration that we should seek to be like that person. But instead, culturally, there's kind of a, an environment where um, people who share what their needs are are sort of thought of as the everyday hero, if you will. In that kind of environment, particularly when we're also constantly pushed news. I mean, you can never, ever, ever get away from the news. And it's always bad. And it's always worse than it was the day before. Then there can be a fatigue set in, in which we don't really pay attention to what people need. We, we sort of nod our heads, and we might even say, I'll pray for you. But actually, Sort of like when you use a tool a lot and you get a callus, you get a callus on your, on your empathy meter and you just don't pay attention anymore. Now, you don't need to nod your head or raise your hand, but have you felt some of that? Well, I want to remind you today, if you've felt some of that like I have, that what people most need is Jesus. The reality is that life is hard, and life without Jesus is terrible. And a life without Jesus will end in an eternity without Jesus. And that goes on forever. People desperately, desperately, desperately need to hear that there is grace available to them in the Lord Jesus Christ. People need the Lord. Since God is holy, He's pure, He's right, He's blameless, and people aren't, then the very thing for which humanity was created, that is, being in a, a right, loving, warm, close, intimate relationship with God, is impossible. And yet, it's not impossible through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
He is the one through whom the problem of sin can be fixed. In Jesus, we move from death to life, wrath to forgiveness, slavery to freedom, anxiety to peace, lies to truth, hostility to love, emptiness to satisfaction, alienation to reconciliation. This is what Jesus provides. This is what people so desperately need. And so when we have these calluses on our souls, Christians, then we can forget. And when we forget, we don't share. We aren't concerned. We don't pray. And so let's pray that God would rip off, even if it's painful, those calluses, that we might see people around us who need the Lord. Jesus is fully sufficient to address all of our greatest problems. He is enough. But people do not come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ unless people tell them. Now, that brings me to the, to the second. Um, well, before I do that, if, if you're here this morning or maybe watching online and you don't know Jesus Christ, then, friend, your greatest need is Jesus. But don't misunderstand me. I don't mean you don't have any other needs. There may be real physical, emotional, financial needs, and we're not trying to minimize those. But the thing most needed in your life is to be set right, to be made right with your Creator. And the church exists to make that news of Jesus known to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, after we're done, to ask somebody around you, that preacher said something about Jesus and I don't know much about that. Would you tell me more? They would love to do that. Jesus Christ is the answer. Now, it might be, if you don't know Christ, that you don't feel a need for Him. That's not what brought you today. Maybe some obligation to say yes to some friend is what brought you. Then, um, a lack of awareness of need doesn't erase need. A, a blind person can walk in a room, and if there's a step, and they don't have, I don't know what the stick's called, they, they don't have the stick in front of them, then they're going to fall when they hit that step. There was a need to know that step was there, but the person was oblivious to it. Or maybe we could put it a different way. It's possible to have a, a very serious cancer growing in your body and be completely unaware of it. That cancer can metastasize, it can spread through your lymph nodes, it can be all over your body before you have a single symptom. I'm not trying to scare you, this is just reality. And you can go for a regular routine checkup, do regular routine blood work, and in a phone call, all of life will be different. If that can happen to us physically, of course it can happen to us spiritually. You have a spiritual need for Jesus. And perhaps God's brought you today to awaken you to that need. Maybe this is your call. 
There's folks sitting near you that would love to visit with you and tell you more about Christ. Now, the second presupposition I want to remind you, Church on Mill, of is we're going to have to use our heads for this one, our brains, okay? So put your thinking cap on. And I want to try to speak to an objection that naturally arises when we come to texts in the Bible that teach us to share the gospel. And, and this is the presupposition. God has ordained both the ends and the means. Now, here's what I mean. The, the Bible is very, very clear, Christian, that before the world began, before you had done anything good or bad, if you are in Christ today, ultimately it's because God chose you before the foundation of the world. That's what Ephesians 1 says. That God is sovereign over salvation. That you are saved ultimately not because you are so smart you chose Jesus, but that before you chose Jesus, Jesus chose you. And yes, you had to decide to follow him, but the one came after the other. He, had, he predestined you to be adopted into his family. In Colossians chapter 3, so in the, the very previous chapter, one of the ways Paul defined what the church is is he said it's made up of chosen ones. So it's right here in the book we've been studying together. And God didn't only choose us. God has chosen some from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation to come to know him. God will have a global people for himself to display his wonder, his splendor, his might. God will make sure that heaven is made up of folks of all different colors. Amen? And so um, this naturally raises a question. If that's the ends, that God, sov God is sovereign over salvation and that he has rescued a people for himself, then if God ordains who will be saved, then why pray about that? Why waste the time? Or if God has chosen people, then why witness? Do you, you get the problem? One or two of you are still listening. Does that make sense? Why bother praying about something that God says he's already done? Well, uh, that vexed me for years. And by the grace of God, it no longer does. And I can't make it all go away for you if, it, if, if that's a bother to you like it was to me. But hopefully we can start down the journey together today. It's not more complicated than this. God has ordained both the ends and the means. God says, before the foundation of the world, I chose you in him. And a Christian comes to experience that. Some of us kicking and screaming. But God's also ordained the means. The means is his people praying and sharing the gospel. Both God has foreordained. Why? Well, God wants 
And this is so amazingly shocking. God's desire is that His own people would experience Him working through them that others might come to know Him. We are bound up together in His work to save. Isn't that incredible? A Christian is therefore never on the sidelines. We're, we're always in the game, if you will. We're always to be praying and speaking of who Jesus is. There are a variety of truths in the Bible, you see, that work together when it comes to salvation. I made a list of a few of them. God chose who would be saved, yes. God commands that we pray about evangelistic endeavors, yes. God must awaken people to their spiritual need or they'll never believe in Him, yes. God commands us to tell everybody about Him, yes. God chooses, but no one is saved without them hearing the gospel, them believing that gospel, them repenting of their sins, them deciding for themselves, I think that's true, I'm going to follow Him. Yes, 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 yes. We share, people repent and believe, God saves. Exactly. The great British preacher Charles Spurgeon was once asked, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty over election and people's responsibility to respond to the gospel? And his reply was, I don't. I never need to reconcile friends. That is exactly right. These two things that feel at odds to us, in the mind of God, which means it's right, in the mind of God are not enemies, they're friends. We believe them both. Now, because people need the Lord and because God is ordained both ends and means, then we, church, are caught up in the great work of sharing Jesus with others. And that brings us to this text. With those things in mind, we can understand why this is here, and we can grow in it together. We are to be a people who have a passion that people might see their greatest need met by coming to see who Jesus is and respond to Him. How? Well, Paul outlines three ways in this paragraph. By praying, by living, and by speaking. And in our remaining time, I just want to spend a few minutes with you on each one of those. Praying, living, and speaking. If you look at the start of verse 2, you'll notice it says that we are to continue steadfastly in prayer. Well, how do we do that? The rest of the verse tells you. By being watchful in it with thanksgiving. If you've been with us the last several weeks, you've probably noticed the word thanksgiving or thanks or thankfulness comes up over and over and over. It's like bread. Don't you just want bread with every meal? This is the bread. Thanksgiving is the bread of truth. We need it all the time. Thanksgiving guides our praying because we've been enveloped in the grace and mercy and love of God. A love we didn't deserve, we didn't earn, we wouldn't have picked for ourselves. And we've been enabled to love because He first loved us. And so we pray. We pray that people might come to know Christ. 
and we're continuing in it steadfastly. Now, I've been a Christian enough and a pastor long enough to know there's a couple things that you can push the guilt button pretty easy on as a pastor. You can talk about sex, you can talk about money, forgiveness, prayer. Those things, pretty much guaranteed, people who are listening are going to feel a bit of this from. But I don't want to do that because I don't think that actually works. I don't think it's very effective. Instead, let me just simply ask you, Christian, have you been lately more prayerful or prayerless? Which one? If you're going to lean one way or the other, which one is it? Now, to, the, to, the, to those of us who would say more prayerless, the message at this point in Colossians for you is not, you are such a rotten scumbag. How do you think you could do this Christian thing? Maybe you're not even one. The message in Colossians at this point for you for the genuine saved who's struggling to pray, is simply remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are a son and a daughter of the King. And you are welcome right now in the throne room of heaven. The Father is ready to listen to you. Now, let's say you haven't prayed in a month. He's still ready. Because his readiness isn't based on your behavior. His readiness is based on the fact that you have been clothed with Christ. Christ is now your life. You are welcome there because when God looks at you, God sees the righteousness of his Son. Can I get a hallelujah? That is good news. So, you don't need to be beat up over prayer. You need to be reminded of who you are. You are in Christ. You are at the table of the Lord Jesus. You've been clothed with the one who makes it always possible for you to go to God and gain an audience. The one exception to this is in the book of Peter. Men, uh, husbands, if you've been a jerk to your wife, then that has an effect on the uh, response of God to your prayers. So deal with that. If you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, husband, because you've not been living with your wife in an understanding way, they are hitting the ceiling. So repent of that. God cares immensely how responsible authority is used. That's a sermon for another day, though. Or do you want to stay till three? Now, prayer. Prayer as it relates to evangelism. The most important thing, brothers and sisters, we will ever do for someone who's not a Christian is to pray for them. That is the most important thing. Because you see, God has to turn the light on, if you will. 
God has to, they, they can have the need right there present in the room with them, but the room's pitch dark. They don't see the need. For people to see their need for Jesus, there's got to be a light turned on. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so pray, 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 pray. How much do you pray? Well, the Bible's consistent answer to that is pray without ceasing. What in the world does that mean? I would submit to you, it doesn't mean what it sounds like. It doesn't mean sit your hiney in the chair at church and never leave and pray all the time. It can't mean that, right? There's all kinds of commands in the Scripture that we're supposed to follow that we couldn't obey if that's what it meant. I think here's what it means. It means, let me frame it, let me frame it in a typical day. I think it means get up in the morning before you need to, because you really need to, and spend some time in prayer. Thoughtful, devoted, consistent prayer. And ideally, Maybe you could even do that with somebody else, a roommate, a spouse, a child. Pray to start the day, unhurried time. And what you'll find if you do that, if you'll start the day saying, God, today I will be tempted to block eternity from my mind. I will be tempted to think the little things I'll face today are the most important thing in the whole world. I'll be tempted today to let that callousness that can crowd in where I don't notice people's needs around me, especially their need for Jesus, to blind me to the opportunities you'll give. I'll be tempted to go through today and not think about you at all. God, would you please guard me from these temptations? Would you help me to see reality today? Would you bring scriptural truths and your character, and who I am in you, and what people around me really need, would you bring these ideas to mind as we go through the day? Friends, it's not as though that's a, 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 like a, a magic pill you take and you swallow it, and then all the time you're going to be thinking about the Lord. But if you devote some time in the morning to that, and you stick with it, over time you will find that what happens is that kind of at one level, you go through the day and do all the stuff you're supposed to do. The dishes get washed. The, there are all kinds of fun jokes there. Um, the, the, the bills get paid. You, you get where you need to go. The assignment gets finished. The boss gets what he needs from you or she needs. You, you do the stuff that needs to get done. But underneath, at the level of the heart, you're moving in and out of short little prayers, asking God to work, thanking God for this. There's an awareness of the presence of God. Now, that takes time. It's, it's, it, it doesn't come quickly or easily. But I think praying without ceasing is thinking about that. And so the Lord would want us to be praying in that way about people who don't know Him. We're also to be praying, this text tells us, for what we might say, for lack of a better way to put it, people in full-time Christian ministry. 
And I hate these terms because in reality, every Christian is in full-time Christian ministry. But what I mean is praying for pastors, praying for missionaries, praying for people who vocationally are giving themselves to that work. Now, please understand, I am no more important to the kingdom of God than you. The fact that I stand here and you sit doesn't mean God's given me more influence than you. I don't believe that. My sole purpose is to equip you because you will go out and do things that I simply won't have opportunity to do. You, friend, are part of the ministry too. But do you pray for your pastors? Do you pray for missionaries? Well, the text tells us what to pray. It tells us what to pray for them. Prayer is a means that God has ordained. And if you look at the last half of verse 3, you see one of the two things we're told to pray for. We're to pray that God may open to us a door for the Word. Now, what in the world does that mean? It simply means pray that there would be opportunity to preach the gospel and that there would be effectiveness in doing so. Opportunity and effectiveness. Would you pray for pastors and missionaries to be given opportunities and to be effective in doing so? Paul longed, as he looked at his life, not mainly to get out of prison. He was locked up when he was writing this. His first concern was not himself. It was God, in whatever way, shape, or form you so desire, give me opportunity to declare who Jesus is. That's pretty convicting, that his main concern was that people would see the glory of God and enjoy Him. And he wanted to be effective in sharing. There's no effectiveness if God doesn't take that word that's spoken and then bring it to life within people. God's got to save. So pray for effectiveness. In what? Well, it says in declaring the mystery of Christ. What's the mystery? If you remember back, uh, the, the brain cells that haven't been fried, my goodness, it's been hot lately, the, the ones that are still working, remember back in Colossians 1 and 2 where mystery was spoken of several times. The mystery that he's referring to is that Christ is the centerpiece of God's plan to reach the world. His death and resurrection, he's the king, he's the Lord, he's preeminent. And Christ is the one for all people, Gentiles too, not just Jews. That's the mystery being spoken of. In essence, it's sharing this good news, this plan to redeem the, the whole world, every tribe, tongue, language, and nation through Jesus Christ. Now, the second request that we're told to pray for pastors and missionaries is in verse 4, that I may make it clear. Those of you who have heard me preach more than once know that sometimes we preachers are a bit less than clear. And so pray that it would be clear, that we communicate the message clearly. And when we share the gospel with somebody, any of us, our aim must not be to be clever, to be smart, to win an argument, to be thought of in a particular way by the person we've shared with. The goal... The goal is that the person would hear 
plainly who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. There's such a temptation to uh, merely devolve into argument that doesn't accomplish good. The good we're seeking when we share the Lord Jesus Christ is the good that they might come to know Him like we have too. And so the gospel's got to be put clearly. The gospel, friends, is the power of God to save. And pastors and missionaries have to remember not to try to give the gospel a tune-up. It doesn't need one. It simply needs to be spoken clearly. So pray for that. How is it that we live as a church with evangelistic zeal? Well, this is the start, that we pray. We pray throughout the day, that we pray for ourselves, that we pray for each other, that we pray for our pastors, that we pray for our missionaries. Whether we're praying about people who go across the street and share the gospel at ASU as missionaries, or around the world, Thailand and Italy, places where we have people right from our own church living and doing this work full-time. We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. Now, what else do we do? Well, verse 5 says that we live. We also live this gospel. Let me read it again. It's been a while since we looked at it. It says in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Brothers and sisters, in the coming week, most of us will interact with dozens of people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious opportunity to live somewhere where we pass people all the time who have yet to hear the good news. What a wonderful gift. Paul calls them outsiders, not to be mean, not to be cruel, not to exclude, but rather to say they don't know the joy of being in Christ, and they're outside the family of God. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that they're not welcome to come here or to sit around the table at a gospel community or to have lunch with you during work. Please do all those things. Bring as many people as you know who don't know Christ who will come to any of those things. But remember in your own mind that they're coming sort of on the outside looking in. You can't belong in the church until there's belief in the Lord Jesus. And so we seek to pray and we seek to live in ways that are consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Making the most of the time, meaning we're not oblivious to the fact that we're living in what the scriptures call and have called for the last 2,000 years, the last days. These are the days in which Jesus could come at any moment. And so there's an urgency to our lives, an urgency that we would live consistent with the gospel and seek to redeem opportunities that God gives us. May the Spirit convict us if we don't live with eternity in our minds. And may He propel us not to be self-consumed, but to seek to live boldly for Christ in everyday life. When we do, that's going to culminate in this third and final reason or means through which we can have evangelistic zeal, and it's speaking. Look with me at verse 6. It says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Speaking. I think there's a lot of confusion about what evangelism actually is today. Friend, evangelism is speaking the good news about Christ Jesus and inviting people to respond to Him. There is no evangelism where there are not words. The gospel is words. It's the power of God to save. Does how we live matter? Yeah, great damage is done if people know you're a Christian and yet you live like a non-Christian. They're going to think, why bother being a Christian then? Right? So it, it matters immensely how we live. But there is no evangelism if we're not saying Jesus Christ came to save sinners among who I am in the foremost. And he's rescued me and he can rescue you too. Let me tell you how. That's evangelism. So it turns out here, Paul's telling us that being salty is a good thing. The, the concept of saltiness in the scriptures is that our lives and our speech would be marked by the grace of God. That there'd be a There'd be a flavor to what we say about Jesus that invites and enlivens. It doesn't push people away by how we say it, but rather invites that people might come and taste and see that God's good. Now, I think this one's third on the list, praying first, living second, speaking third, because that's how the order happens. We start the day praying, God, help me to have eternity in mind to live for what matters most today, even as I'm doing all the normal stuff of life. And then God, help me live in a way consistent with what I believe. Live as a Christian, mindful that these are the last days. And it's only after those two things that we'll even notice Here's somebody that God has put along my path with an open door for me to tell them the truth about Christ. Oftentimes that begins in little ways. Like tomorrow, you're at the office and somebody says, how was your weekend? Well, guess what? That is like the barn door is all the way open for you to say, my weekend was great. I had such a wonderful time worshiping with my church. And then you can just leave it at that. You don't have to say more than that because what you've just done is you've planted a faith flag. You've staked a little bit of ground in which you've said, I follow Christ and my week starts with Him. And then in another week or two, when you get another opportunity with that person, you stick another flag in the ground. And eventually... You pray, and you watch, and you wait, and you live consistently. I'm talking about in established relationships. At one of these moments, you will notice the guidance of God, and you'll go for it. You'll not be ashamed of the gospel. You'll tell Him the truth. And then you pray, pray, pray. That's 
typical, average, normal, everyday, glorious evangelism. Church, it may be that the Lord has someone in your life, school, neighborhood, doctor's office, work, the two of us that go to the gym. It may be that the Lord will bring someone this week through whom you will hear or see or notice a need. And that need, that visible need, may be the occasion to speak of a deeper need. If you can meet the visible need, do so. And then by God's grace, hopefully that day, we will have prayed, we will have been living, and then we can speak the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we do by the grace of God to have a zeal for evangelism. This morning, in closing, if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for listening. If you know enough about Christ to know He's the God-man who lived a perfect life in order to die a horrible substitutionary death, and you know that the gospel says that He took all sin of all people who had ever come to know him on himself. And then he rose from the dead on the third day. He's alive today. If you get all that and you believe it, won't you come to Christ? Won't you turn from a life without him to a life with him? And if you're not quite ready to do that, maybe you still have questions. I'm going to be done in about three minutes. Say to somebody around you, there's a ton of Christians here. Say to somebody around you, I don't know enough about that Christ and I want to hear more. And I heard that guy talk enough, so would you talk to me? They'd love to share with you. Now, if you're already a Christian, what do you do with a message like this? Well, let me just simply ask you, What has God impressed on your mind and heart during this sermon? Who has come to mind? What will you do about it? The Lord's desire is that this week we would be a church marked by praying, by living, and by speaking. Because God has a plan. That plan is to work through you that people might come to know Him. What a wonderful way to live. We stand with me and let's pray. God, would you take this humble, feeble, imperfect attempt to communicate your perfect word and by means of the Holy Spirit, would you give new life to non-Christians that they might come to know the glory of being right with you. And God, would you motivate us as Christians? Would you rip off those calluses that we might feel 
the needs of those without you. And would you help us, God, to not be ashamed of the gospel, but with a certain saltiness to pray and to live and to speak this week that people we come in contact with might be put in a position such that you can turn the light on. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.